This week on the podcast, we're talking about how we can not live in fear as followers of Jesus, but how we can trust that there is something more possible for us because of who God is. Welcome to Table Talk with Mike and Angela. Welcome to Table Talk with Mike and Angela, a weekly conversation focused on helping you understand more about the Bible, faith, and what it means to live a faithful life. And now, here are your hosts, Pastors Mike Holly and Angela Martin. Well, a consistent theme during the season of Advent, Angela, is fear, and you know, how fear uh, compares to trust, how fear sort of stops us from being who God calls us to be, how trust enables us to be who God calls us to be. You know, in, in psychology, there's this sort of power of fear to hold us back from what we really want to do. And I remember uh, this sort of play between approach and avoidance in my studies in college. I want to do something. I want to approach it, but then I get scared and I start to to avoid it, you know. Mm-hmm. I had a friend uh, named Chris who was a mentor of mine, and I remember one time when he was talking at a youth ministry uh, event that he was talking about the sort of moment where he was with his older brother, you know, his cool, hip. Do, do people still say hip? I don't know. Sure. Okay, there you go. <laughs> cool, hip, amazing brother who, like, you know, in his mind had no fear whatsoever, and he was out there in the waves crashing around him on a surfboard and he was calling out to his little brother Chris my friend and saying come on out and then the wave would go and then he'd come back up on another wave and say the water's fine (laughs) and then the wave would go and then he would come up on another wave come on down up chicken. (laughs) And so Chris was like sort of in the moment of, you know, almost up to his knees in the water and he had a surfboard with him. I don't know how old he was, but, you know, he was he was old enough to want to do this, but also young enough to be really scared about what might Mm -hmm. happen out in the water. And so it was this approach avoidance. I want to do it, but I'm scared. Mm -hmm. I'd rather be, you know, touching the ground, (laughs) even if I'm in the ocean, than to be out on that surfboard in those waves out there, the sort of uneasiness and unknown and scary situation that uh, that can be. And so this approach avoidance sort of plays itself into life and into faith, and it's something that's uncovered in the season of Lent. You know, as we're going through this wonderful study by Walter Brueggemann, A Way Other Than Our Own, he, uh, in this week's of, uh, series of devotionals, reminds us about Isaiah chapter 43. And again, this is a, a you know, prophetic book in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, where uh, the people of God are reminded of God's faithfulness and goodness uh, and mercy and love over and over and over again. And in this passage, uh, in starting in verse 1, it, it says this, But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you. <laughs> it's pretty clear at this point in the first verse. Um, you know, this is the God who created you, who formed you. This is the one who has a say over you and has power. You know, you wouldn't be here without him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? O Israel, it continues, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You know, there's this 
always, always, always pull between fear and trust. And so here, uh, God speaks through Isaiah, reminding them, don't fear. He's already taking care of the work of redeeming them. He's called them. He knows their names. He knows who they are. He loves them. He remembers them. You know, whatever God uh, wants, God gets, right? <laughs> right? You know, whatever God cherishes, he takes care of. And so, in a sense, it's just this reminder that we need to uh, give up our fears, uh, to let them go, and to trust in God. But, of course, that's a lot easier said than, than done. But it's clear that God has that in mind for us, to give up fear and to uh, move forward in trust. Mm-hmm. I love how that verse reminds us that God chooses us. Mm-hmm. You know, God calls us to, names us. You are mine. Um, I love what Brueggemann says here in this, and that is that being unafraid is the vocation of the baptized. I love, love, love that phrase. Um, you know, he, he reminds us that we're different after we're baptized. Um this past Sunday night, Mike and Stanley and I had the opportunity to meet with our current confirmands, and it was a question and answer session uh, where they could uh, ask anything they wanted to. And one of the questions was, what does it feel like to be baptized? And um, I wish I had read this before we <laughs> met with them. Uh, of course, you know, we talked about uh, being there's this overwhelming sense of being loved uh, by God, by your family, by the church. Um, there's a sense of belong, this new sense of belonging uh, that you feel um, in and after your baptism. But um, I, yeah, I wish we could have added this element of, of unafraid to our answer because it's so so good, and it's something we deal with throughout our lives. I think. Uh, We read in Acts the account of the early church and what happened when the Holy Spirit came upon those who were baptized. And just as the Holy Spirit's visit upon Jesus at his baptism propelled him into ministry, so it was with the the early church. Uh, They turned the world upside down, or as Brueggemann puts it, right side up. Uh, Might be better. Um, So Brueggemann says that at baptism, the Spirit visits our lives with the freedom of God so that we are unafraid in the world, able to live differently, not needing to control, and not driven by anxiety. That's a lot to accomplish. It is. It is. Have have you ever met anyone that doesn't really have uh, much fear in their lives? And I'm not talking about a daredevil, (laughs) you know, somebody who is uh, leaping off of buildings with a, you know, um, parachute or something like that. I'm talking about someone who just doesn't really fear what other people think about them, that they're free to just be themselves. And, Mm -hmm. you know, um, early in life, I was kind of drawn to people like that because because, you know, a lot of how I exist in the world is very measured, mm-hmm. uh, very, uh, you know, thoughtful and thinking yeah. about what do people expect me to do me and too. what do people expect me, me to say. And, 
oh, I just was drawn to people <laughs> that just lived freely. Who just speak their mind. Yeah, who speak. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I don't think that it, that's exactly what this is talking about. But but there is this sense of, of, of freedom to just be who God has called you to be and, and freedom to not worry so much about what other people think. Um it also goes deeper than that, though, to talk about not needing to be in control, because in a way, you know, we can still be in control if we're saying and acting the way we want, to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so that's where I think it goes above and beyond this. You know, so the question really becomes, you know, what kind of freedom do we get from baptism? How does baptism lead us away from a life of fear? And you kind of named it when you were talking about what we talked uh, through with the confirmation class, because, you know, we did sort of start with a, a little bit more tactile thing, like, you know, what does baptism feel like? Right. Well, it feels a little wet, uh, de- <laughs> yeah. you know, depending on if you get sprinkled or poured upon or even dunked or immersed is maybe mm-hmm. the more technical term there. Um, you know, so there is uh, this physical sense of, uh, of being wet, but there's also, as you mentioned, that sort of overwhelming sense of being loved. Um, this overwhelming sense of being included into God's family, into a covenant relationship with the one God who is always faithful, that we're included into this church where people make an affirmation that they're going to care for you, that they're going to help guide you in the faith. And I mean, just think about that, that that we have literally made promises either for uh, children or adults who are baptized into the church or by new members who take vows. And we, you know, either audibly or spiritually connect ourselves to them and say Mm -hmm. we're going to care for one another because we are the body of Christ. And so, therefore, we are tied to folks that we are going to disagree with on a lot of things. And yet we are connected. Um, this, I think, maybe gives us this freedom to know and to trust that, that you know, we're in the family. We're a part of the team, uh, that we are in, included in God's kingdom, and that, you know, we don't have to worry so much about, are we in? Do people like, you know, we're still going to deal with those. It's an approach avoidance <laughs> pull, right? right? Yeah. Um, there are people that we we know are gifted to lead small groups and we want them to do it, but they're worried about it. You know, there's that approach avoidance. But ultimately, if we trust in God, we allow God to create something with who we are and what we have, you know, it can be amazing to see what happens. Uh, you know, in a sense, what I, I get from every text that that is in the scripture about not fearing and trusting in God, it has little to do with our own abilities, right? right. And it never says, hey, don't fear because you've got what it takes. Mm-hmm. I don't remember any Mm-mm. text. <laughs> there could be, yeah, there could be. I don't remember any, any, any text in scripture where it says, don't be afraid, you've got it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, every, every, every passage is you know, you can trust in God. You don't have to be afraid because of who God is, the character of God, the nature of God. We can trust God because God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Amen. Yeah. Well, you know, in this particular part of the the book, Brueggemann reminds us that uh, frightened people, are, they're never going to turn the world around. They're, they're not going to make the difference that that God would call them to make because uh, they use too much energy on protecting themselves. 
Um, and he he offers up some examples so that uh, we can kind of hear the, the difference, see the difference uh, that it makes when we live life trusting uh, in that God because God's got us, not because we got it, right. because God's got us, right? Um, he says the unafraid are open to the neighbor while the frightened are defending themselves from the neighbor, that us versus them kind of thing. The unafraid are generous in the community, while the frightened in their anxiety must keep and store and accumulate to make themselves safe. The unafraid commit acts of compassion and mercy, while the frightened do not notice those in need. The unafraid are committed to justice for the weak and the poor, while the frightened see them only as threats. And the unafraid pray in the morning, care through the day, and rejoice at night in thanks and praise, while the frightened are endlessly restless and dissatisfied. And, you know, that doesn't mean that that all of that is easy. <laughs> it's not easy to be unafraid. Sure. Um but yeah, to, but to try and rest in the fact that God is with us, that God goes before us, you know, and, and helps to create a way and a path for us, but also goes with us mm-hmm. in, in those actions. You know, in, in a sense, there um, there is this repetitive nature of Scripture that that reminds us that over and over again, the more that we turn inward— you know, the farther away we get from from God and God's mission for us, and the more that we turn outward, um, the more that that we are fulfilling that and accepting that. And and I just think that what you have said about you know what Brueggemann wrote in his devotional mm-hmm. about you know being unafraid and and being afraid, it just makes that uh, so much more clear that you know when we're afraid, we're sort of turning inward. When we're unafraid, we're always turning. To God and turning out to the community, and it makes me think about churches. You know, when when churches are afraid, they turn inward and they start trying to protect their building and protect their their assets and they're protecting them. You know, when they're unafraid and they they can live boldly and compassionately, they're out there feeding the homeless. You know, <laughs> they're out there um, greeting their neighbor and taking care of their neighbor's needs. I mean, they're serving in mission trips. They're you know, when we turn outward, um, we um, we are acting in a in an unafraid position, but we're also you know freed to live for God and to live according to the gospel. So, you know, Bergenman reminds us that this is our challenge. You know that that even though you know saying yes, I believe, I want to be unafraid in my life, mm-hmm. and then actually doing it is a right. different thing. Yeah. But it is our vocation, as you mentioned, that is a beautiful way of articulating mm-hmm. it. You know, our challenge is to live into our vocation, not into our uh, current reality or in the fears within our heart. Yeah. We need to remember who we are and whose we are so that we can break free from the shackles of fear. And so Brueggemann says that there's a couple of things we can do to meet the challenge, to sort of overcome the turn inward. The first thing is that we must entrust to God the possibility of our lives. So in this, he reminds us about Abraham. You know, Abram was um, made a promise by God, this covenant, Mm -hmm. that he was going to 
be the father of a great family, a great nation, that nations and kings would come from him. Um, And God was going to bless Sarah, too, and to give Abraham a son by her. And, you know, this is where Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And I remember when Sarah heard it, she laughed, too. (laughs) Everybody sort of laughed at God. Um, And and the laughter was almost at the absurdity of what God was saying because of their age and their stage and, you know, everything they knew about themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, But God is serious. And Abraham cannot imagine the possibility of how that could happen. But God makes impossible things possible. And this is what I think is so wise about what Brueggemann is saying, is that if we can entrust to God the possibility of our lives instead of assuming the impossibility of our lives, we might have a shot. (laughs) Think about Mary. You know, think about somebody who really accepted the impossible. Um, And and, and heard that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah, the son of God. And, you know, how can this be? Right. Uh, Everything is possible with God. Um, You know, this is sort of the switch that we have to sort of overcome, because a lot of times we either doubt and have this feeling that things are impossible for us or we sort of don't believe that we're capable of that. So it's either that it's a doubt that God can achieve it, or it's a doubt that we can actually go the distance. Uh, Brueggemann says that entrusting the possibility of our lives to God means that we're open to God doing a new thing in us beyond our expectations, beyond our imagination. He's the potter, we're the clay, and there's no telling what will become. You know, and both of us have, have uh, throughout this podcast talked about how we thought things were impossible with our lives, right. you know, yeah. and tried to say that, uh, you know, God, we hear you calling, but <laughs> this is what's actually possible, you know, yeah. and, and in a way God has overcome that. And, um, you know, and I think that story can be reiterated by so many people within the church, pastors and lay people alike. Sure. Uh, we can live in trust instead of fear because we know that God has something meaningful and faithful in store for us. Now, you know, the other thing we have to avoid is sort of the expectation that our possibility in God will be just like everybody else's possibility. We can't measure ourselves against other people. We have to know that God takes who we are uh, and builds us into what we can be. The second thing uh, that we can do, according to Brueggemann, is to stay connected to Jesus in a way that allows him to reform and reshape us personally and as a Christian community. You know, he is the potter, we are the clay. Mm-hmm. And, and we've got to stay connected to Jesus. Uh, and, and that means abiding in him, not just, you know, subtly connecting ourselves or, you know, holding hands for a moment and then letting go, but abiding in Jesus, really staying connected to Jesus so that he can reform and reshape us, which can take time and can sometimes be difficult to go through. Right. Yeah, well, that fear gets in the way. Mm. (laughs) Uh, And this is where Brueggemann points to Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. You know, Corinth is a a church that is troubled uh, and struggling. They're they're busy dealing with Christ and culture issues. Imagine that. Uh, And, you know, disputes among the the members. But Paul cuts underneath all of that uh, to remind these day-to-day Christians that that they're not ordinary people. Uh, 
um, that they have at the core of their existence, what Brueggemann says is an implosion of God's holiness that reshapes and defines everything. And so as Christians, you know, God's holiness has to affect everything that we do. And let's point out that we are saying it's God's holiness, right? God's holiness and God's goodness that affects what we do, not our own holiness and our own goodness. Uh, So Paul wants, first of all, to keep Christians at Corinth connected to Jesus as the decisive point of their lives. Um, The decision to choose Jesus, to believe in Jesus, affects all of our other decisions. And so Christian and ministry and, and action demand that we follow the example of Jesus always. Um, but the world, the world calls to us, right? We are uh, endlessly seduced by imagining the glories to be found in our technology, in our achievement, in our power, our wealth, our own loveliness. Uh, but no, uh, it is found in the face and the body and the life and the story uh, of Jesus Christ, who suffers in and with and for the world. And so staying connected to Jesus helps us remember that we belong to God and that we are empowered to live lives of, of wholeness. And it is a choice that we make daily. Well, and I'm just reminded by what you were saying about Paul and the church in Corinth and how he was so adamant that they they stay connected to Christ and stay connected to one another and and deal with their issues, not to just allow them to break them apart, but actually, you know, stay connected so that you can work out these issues. And I, Mm -hmm. I don't always get, you know, memes or tweets sent to me, but uh, somebody from our church did send me a tweet uh, recently, and it was this. It's, there are two kinds of Pauline epistles. The first is, essentially, Paul saying this to a church, we are heirs through unfathomable grace and to unimaginable glory. You know, just mm-hmm. beautiful language mm-hmm. Paul sometimes has. And number two is usually... I am, as a personal favor, begging you sick, weird people to act normal for like five minutes. <laughs> you know, yeah, I like that. It, yeah. So, you know, Paul was uh, dealing with people who are, you know, consistently getting it wrong, even though he helped them, he gave them the gospel, he worked with them, he helped so, set up their small groups and set up their worship services. You know, he left them with a book, not all of these things technically, but, you know, he essentially sort of helped these churches get off the ground and he leaves <laughs> and then he hears about these divisions and he hears about the things that are going wrong. And it just is a reminder that every day we have personal choices. Like you're saying, we've got a choice. Uh, every day we have a choice to either live for God or to live for ourselves. And if we don't make that decision, it's going to be decided for us, you know, either by you know, living for ourselves without thinking about it, or it's by not choosing to do the things God calls us to do. We're going to make a choice either to live for him or to to not. In a sense, you know, this is something that we need to do every day, every morning when we wake up to literally be clothed in Christ, just as we dress for the day. Mm-hmm. 
we need to seek to have the mind of Christ just as we are planning out the hours of our busy day. Uh, we need to make these choices um, to stay connected to Jesus, to belong to God, and to trust in the possibility that God can have for us. You know, one of the devotionals for this week reminds us that the goal of Christian living is to have Christ become a living memory within us, that, you know, that, that this is not just about us doing things for Jesus, but that Jesus can actually live in us, that he is remembered in the way that we speak and act and all of that, mm-hmm. not just in, individually, but as a church as well. And I love the fact when he talks about how Christ becomes present tense within the church, or present tense within us, that it's, it's not just that we kind of look like Jesus or act like Jesus, but he becomes present tense, you know, yeah. embodied mm-hmm. uh, in a sense in us. And it just reminds me of how memory has such a powerful effect uh, upon our faith and our trust. You know, the more that we remember, the more that we remember who we are, the more that we remember whose we are, the more that we remember the ways in which God has been faithful in the past, either to others through Scripture or, you know, from our small groups or even our own personal memories— the more that Christ gives us the power to trust in the possibilities ahead of us, the more that we remember, (laughs) the less we're anxious, hopefully, and the more freedom we have to live for him. I think it's very similar in the way we gather for Holy Communion. You know, we come together to remember the faithfulness of Christ, mm-hmm. the, the loving sacrifice of himself for us, and how we're called to become the hands and feet of Christ in the world. We remember so that we can become, you know, and that's, you know, people talk about, well, do you really need to come to church or not? And you know, I mean, obviously, yes. If you miss a few, that's okay. But when we come together as the body of Christ and we remember together, wow, we can have more possibility ahead of us Mm -hmm. because we are remembering, uh, we are, you know, allowing Christ to become present tense in us as long as we make the choice to stay connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've heard that remember, you know, used as the re-member, you know, that when we remember— It reorders us, right? You know, it it, it refigures <laughs> sometimes our thinking and our being, and and then we're able to hear, you know, what we are called to do or what our next steps are. Uh, and so, yeah, we are called to the lifelong journey of becoming the hands and feet of Christ. But you know, besides fear, there's there's another roadblock that we can put in our own way. And that is our shame and guilt over past sins and indiscretions. You know, it, it, it tells us that, that Christ certainly cannot become present in someone like us. Um, and the Lenten season, you know, sends us this invitation <laughs> to trust in the possibility of forgiveness. Um, it's most often harder for us to forgive ourselves than it is to believe that God can forgive someone like me. Um, And, you know, part of that is knowing what happens in our human relationships when we fail to do the right thing. Um, Our actions against one another can be irreversible. You know, we make a gesture, we we say the wrong thing, we we take an action, and and we may do it maliciously or carelessly. 
But in either case, that word or gesture or action generates misunderstanding and uh, hurt feelings and distrust and hostility and all those things. And maybe it's the fear that keeps us from going and and hashing it out uh, and talking about it, but... Sometimes we can just live with that, you know, mm. forever and ever. And it, it feels like there's no way out. And uh, we ache for the opportunity to start over, to have that clean slate and to repair those relationships. Uh, and so we we get that in our minds of, of how things work. And we forget that, that God doesn't operate that way. You know, God, God does forgive and God does wipe the slate clean when we confess and repent of our sin. Um, God gave his own son to die for our sins and give us freedom from them. And we remember every time we celebrate <laughs> Holy Communion uh, because we hear these words in the great thanksgiving. By the baptism of his suffering death and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. And so through God's forgiving action, uh, we have this assurance that what we cannot do for ourselves, God gives and does for us. And with forgiveness and a clean slate— And walking day to day with Jesus, staying connected to Jesus, we are free to imagine and experience God's creative possibility for our lives. And and thinking about forgiveness and the clean slate, the do-over, the being, you know, remembered Mm -hmm. uh, back into the way we should be, uh, it connects to the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the unforgiving brother or, wh- wh- mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> of the forgiving father. I mean, there are so many ways to look at this parable, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's usually known the parable of the prodigal son. Yes. And it, it's used in, by Brueggemann in this week's devotions to help us understand what it means to trust in the possibility of the clean slate, that, you know, God is going to be faithful in that. We start, we start. Uh, Lent with Psalm 51, you know, God created me a clean heart Mm -hmm. (laughs) and renew a right spirit within me. And then, you know, here we are uh, getting way down into the season of Lent. And here is the prodigal son experiencing that a clean heart and is being restored uh, by by his father. Uh, You know, Brueggemann reminds us that it's the prodigal son who is feeding the pigs and living in um, poverty when he comes to the realization And, you know, when he does come to the realization, uh, it's not just that he came to himself and realized, you know, what he should do. Um, Brueggemann argues that he comes to himself with the emphasis on who he is, that um, he comes to his true identity. He remembers that he's his father's son and his father treats his servants way better than he is experiencing there in that foreign land uh, with the pigs in uh, the sty or whatever he's doing. Um, you know, when he returns to his, prop, uh, his father's property, he's not treated as somebody who's made a mistake, who's going to have that held over his head forever, um, and he's going to have to sort of be the lowest of the low servants. No, he's treated with his true identity. You know, he doesn't have to be a servant. He comes right up. Uh, to his father, his father runs out to meet him, uh, and he is sort of reinstated uh, and treated with his true identity. Um, 
in a way, Lent is sort of reminding us that that we start with the mortality of our lives and we start with that need for a clean heart and that, you know, God offers a clean slate. God offers forgiveness. Um, and all we have to do is to freely seek it, but allow us to go through the transformation of having a clean heart. You know, I think that sometimes we want a clean slate without, you know, the process of having our heart cleaned, uh, you know, and uh, that's not always easy. You know, yeah. you, you don't um, you don't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. You know, we uh, we've got to go through the process of 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 being forgiven. Uh, but the good news is, is that there's an identity that we're baptized in that frees us from fear, yes. the more that we trust. And as you said, stay connected. You know, there's a true identity that we lean into, that we trust in. And it's not the identity that we have built up ourselves, but it's the identity of who we are in God. And so the more that we lean into the identity we receive from God, the more that we trust in the clean slate that only he can provide, the more freedom that we can have. Mm-hmm. Lent is a journey of going from the brokenness to the wholeness. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got to keep moving. That's one thing that I think he, he keeps telling us is don't give up. Keep moving. Keep going forward. Um, you know, if the prodigal son can do it, we can do it. <laughs> yes. Put one foot in front of the other, right? That's right. Well, we started uh, today talking about what it means to not live in fear, and we sort of ended up with this idea of, of being freed from that so that we can move forward to continue to live out life as, um, you know, God's children, as God's servants, as followers of his son, Jesus, that we, you know, continue to live into our identity, the true identity that he gives us, mm-hmm. and into the true mission. We're getting closer and closer to Holy Week, just one more full week of Lent before we get there yeah. uh, to Palm Sunday. And we're thankful that your uh, listeners are with us on this journey as you continue with us on this way, this way other than our own. And we hope that you will join us again next week.